families and how much we admire those who are on the front lines in our hospitals and in our nursing homes. But stop and think for a second about the nurses. Where do they get their training? What is happening to those institutions in the middle of the coronavirus era that provide the training for nurses? Today we'll talk with the leader of an institution which has prepared nurses in the Upper Plains region of the country for decades. Presentation College is able to maintain the academic curriculum while operating virtually, as well as continuing to prepare the students to jump right into the front lines as soon as they graduate. Also, I was interviewed recently by Matt Leon, a reporter for KYW Radio in Philadelphia, about the financial impact for small college athletic programs in particular and college athletics in general. I hope that the conversation gives you something to think about. Let's get started. and welcome to the podcast. I'm Karen Weaver. Today we'll visit with someone who's been serving as an interim president of a college since October. We'll talk about what this means for the campus, for the board, for the athletics program, and in the age of coronavirus, her leadership. Dr. Paula Langto is leading Presentation College, a small Catholic health-focused baccalaureate and master's degree granting institution in South Dakota. Prior to this appointment, she had been working as a higher education consultant with expertise in growing small campus enrollment by implementing innovative market responsive programming and institutional branding. Previously, she held positions of leadership at Bemidji State in Minnesota and the University of Wisconsin Colleges. A 30-year veteran of higher education, she began her career as a professor of English. Paula, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Karen. It's a pleasure to be with you. So, as you are well aware, on the East Coast, we are in the throes of social distancing and online classes. Spring athletics have been canceled, and the federal government has just provided all of higher education with a $14 billion bailout earmarked for various services and supporting Pell Grant students. How are things looking in South Dakota? What has it been like for you to walk into your first presidency faced arguably with the most difficult challenge our country has confronted since World War II? Indeed, our country and the world have not faced a pandemic of this magnitude since the influenza of 1917 to 18, over 100 years ago. So we are learning as we go. South Dakota may be a couple weeks behind the East Coast as COVID spreads westward. Uh, Michigan, of course, is a hot spot right now but we're not far behind. We are learning all we can from what other countries and other states in the U.S. have experienced and doing all we can to prepare here. Can you walk us through the steps you have taken on campus, logistically, financially, any short-term goals? Sure. Like other colleges and universities around the country, we've moved our courses fully online for the duration of the semester. Unlike many others, however, we have been uniquely equipped for this transition, having developed expertise in online delivery many, many years back. Some of our programs, like our bachelor's and master's degrees in nursing, have been offered fully online for years. All of our courses, even prior to the pandemic, have had online components, as we've recognized and responded to the ever-increasing role technological communications play in our world today. So faculty were able to readily migrate the remaining face-to-face components of our classroom courses to online delivery. For clinicals and internships, we were prepared with virtual simulation activities, which have the approval of our licensing bodies, such as the Board of Nursing 
and other program accrediting agencies. So educationally, our programs remain robust and are furthermore, our entire summer course schedule is routinely delivered online. So there's no need for any change in that area. That's because great. Been ready in those areas um, of delivery flexibility. This has enabled our faculty to really respond to different access issues for our students. Some students, for example, have lost internet access in transit to their homes or while in mandatory quarantine related to travel. Our faculty have been able to reach out to those students to develop alternate means for them to complete their coursework. Uh, this crisis has required our creativity, even as it capitalizes on our connections between faculty, staff, and students, and of course, our concern for the well being of our campus community. You know, interestingly, Karen, we we're in a unique situation in that our spring break was early. And so our students were already back when colleges and universities across the country were confronted with the need to move courses online. So while other institutions extended their spring breaks, we began to look at what travel home would mean for individual students and how to get them to the places they wanted and needed to be to weather the pandemic. For a number of our students, travel home has not been possible. So we are providing them with the op option of sheltering in place on our campus. We have international students, for example, whose countries have temporarily closed their borders to travel. We have students from states across the nation that became early US hotspots, making travel home more dangerous than staying with us here in South Dakota. So our mission is to serve the whole person, not just the intellect. And we are helping these students not just manage their academic success, but also supporting their personal health and welfare decisions. Just to dive a little bit deeper on that, talk a little bit about what that means. That obviously means housing them. I assume it means feeding them. What other things are, do you need to take into consideration? Well, and those are the primary concerns. We have as long as possible left the library and other student services open, but now that all of our campus faculty and staff are, if possible, working remotely, we have limited those services. Um, we do have um, opportunities for students to still get food in our campus dining room, but they are staggered. Um, and we are constantly uh, sanitizing in between shifts of students that come. We are prepared for um, you know, the ability to have students what we call grab and go or pack and deliver um, so that if and when the crisis becomes, comes to a point where we have to actually bring students uh, food to their housing, um, we have that and we have our food service prepared to make that next step. Um, we have all of our students checking in if they're staying on campus. We know if they're working off campus, we're finding out if they have medical needs that might make them at risk. When we're trying to provide um, opportunities for them to give us waivers so we can contact families in the event that there's a crisis. So there are a lot of moving pieces and we are on it uh, on a daily basis. And these students are not hanging out in the in the gym or playing intramural sports. I mean, they're sheltering in place literally in their residence halls. Right. Yeah. The, um, probably an exception that we have, and this is an, probably of interest to you with athletics, is that we have a few students who um, have had surgeries for injuries um, in their athletics, and they are doing therapy in our wellness center. And so we are staggering those as well so they can continue that therapy to be able to recover as best as possible from those injuries and that surgery. I think we only have five students in that category and they are individually scheduled. And of course, all of the facilities are wiped down in between those 
uh, individual sure. session. That's very interesting. It also puts the staff who are supervising that therapy also in a difficult situation. Yes, it does. We have a tremendous staff. I can't say enough about the people that work at Presentation College, the coaches, the assistant coaches, the trainers, the faculty staff. Um, they are, um, you know, we are routinely checking in with them to make sure they're comfortable with whatever they're doing. Many of them, though, really don't want to um, stop doing those things because they're so committed to the students and they're simply taking the precautionary measures necessary to at least help those students who are dealing with injury right now. Yeah, that's a difficult spot. That really is. There's so much, you just get this sense they just feel so much loss. Mm -hmm. Now, shifting gears, this was your first year that you had a fall and a winter season to learn about your athletics programs. Your school competes in the NAIA Division II, but soon to be Division I in basketball and plays in the North Star Conference. The NAIA, like the NCAA, canceled all spring sports and championships. Tell us about what kind of impact this shutdown has had on your coaches, your staff members, and the athletes themselves. Well, certainly, Karen, the seniors in the spring sports especially feel the impact of the intercollegiate athletics being canceled. We know how hard it is to train, practice for that final year without any conclusion to the season. Plus, no senior day, no concluding celebrations, no sense of closure. So understandably, there is a mourning period of loss. And we empathize. We're here to support those athletes, to continue to reach out and encourage them as well as to celebrate, especially online and in social media, the accomplishments of the year and the spring season before things were canceled. We're also mindful of commencement needing to be offered virtually this year. We could not bring ourselves to just entirely cancel the event, so we are using our creativity to develop a program that will make commencement available online beginning May 2nd when the commencement was originally scheduled to take place. We've mailed out the honors cords and for the nurses, the nursing pins. Um, the seniors will be uploading their photos to be shown when their names are read. The class student address will be streamed and videotaped. While it can't replace a face-to-face -face celebration, it will provide some closure and we hope a downloadable keepsake for our 2020 grads for you to come. But we're also looking forward to the day we can invite them back to campus for an early reunion to celebrate and to say the goodbyes in person. As far as the coaches and the staff, they are busy looking ahead and planning for the day that not only our athletes, but um, all of the students, the rest of the country, everything goes back to normal. Our coaches and admission staff are maximizing their use of social media. They're in constant contact with recruits through different communication methods. They're taking recruits on virtual tours through our website and on walk-around tours using their smartphones. They're adapting web conferencing to get recruits into group discussions with current athletes. Um, many recruits want to see what the team community is like and seem to really appreciate the opportunity to get to know the student perspective. So our staff are also working closely with current students to keep them engaged. For example, our counseling office is still providing personal sessions to students who are back home now, um, but planned on having those services available to them. We're using technology like Skype and WebEx, FedEx, ah, WebEx, that's it, um, to keep in contact with our students to provide the services they need and an ongoing engagement with the college.
You know, those touch points are so important. And I think that's one of the real benefits of a small college and this ability that everybody knows most of the students, I would think. So that it's easier to have those conversations if a student begins to struggle. That's right. And that one-on-one -on -one connection, I think, is what really makes small colleges like Presentation College so special. Absolutely. So in the real world, there are rumblings in NCAA and big time football programs that this continued social distancing may have multiple impacts for college sports programs that hope to begin practices in August. <clears throat> the uncertainty has led folks to wonder what that might mean to campus life as we try to reopen and welcome students back to campus. What things will you consider as you decide to bring the campus back from this situation? What are you keeping your eyes on? Does football play an important role in campus life as a whole? Hmm. Like all of our college athletics, football plays a very important role in our college's campus atmosphere and appeal. But all of our fall sports, like soccer and volleyball, are also key to giving the students the opportunity to play the game they love and to compete at a higher level. The fall athletic season is a great way for the entire campus to come together and start the academic year off with you know, that feeling of excitement, togetherness, energy for the future. But of course, student health and well-being is our number one priority. So we will continue to monitor the national and international situation, inviting students back to campus for classes as well as athletics, only if we've reached a place as a state and a country where it is deemed safe to do so. If the fall sports seasons are delayed, it would certainly create a sense of loss on our campus but we will rebound and we would make up for that time with new and innovative opportunities and celebrations when the students can safely return. And we all hope that that's sooner than later, you know? Yes, we do. It, it, the students are what make the campus and their excitement on, in the fall is unmatched any other time of the year. Well, and the quiet right now on campus is just deafening. I mean, most of us are working remotely, maybe once a week or so, I need to go to campus to pick up something from my office. And the halls are empty and they're dark. And it is just so, it's the antithesis of what a college community typically is. But at the same time, I, I appreciate and respect the fact that it's what's keeping us safe. And, uh, and so that's the most important thing right now. Yeah, absolutely. So in, in all of this, as you try to come and execute what you plan to come to presentation to do, how do you then pursue innovative market responsive programming in this environment? How do you communicate with your board and manage their expectations on this? Well, we at Presentation College are actually really fortunate on many fronts here. First, we're fortunate to have an incredibly supportive board of trustees who are really champions of students and their dreams. We have a really strong pre-professional academic program on our campus, which has had great facility with online delivery for many, many years. And we're also in the unique position of training, ironically, so many of the first responders and frontline healthcare personnel who are the real heroes in this pandemic. We are one of, interestingly, one of the very limited number of colleges and universities whose academic and athletic programming are aligned to facilitate student engagement in their sports. For example, our nursing program is designed so that to ensure that students can play football, basketball, whatever their sport, and not miss any of the requirements of their degree program. We pride ourselves on that integration to meet educational and personal goals. 
commitment to service is also an integral part of our mission as students are required to engage in at least two substantive service learning projects to graduate. So students are accustomed on our campus to a culture of giving back in creative and innovative ways to meet the needs of the community. This is so critical now more than ever as we face this national and international health crisis. We've been training for this. If you will, this has been in our mission and values for years and this is our message. It sounds like it's game time for your students. You know, they've been practicing and getting themselves ready to go. And with a nursing program, I would imagine a lot of those uh, students are going to walk right into crisis situations, some of them. Sure, when they graduate. Certainly as students, um, they are being protected from any exposure to this environment. Their clinical sites at the hospitals and so forth um, have been shut down in the sense that they don't report directly out to those sites. But we have been able to supplement that um, with virtual simulations um, and opportunities for them to complete those graduation requirements. But certainly upon graduation, I think they're gonna be introduced to a whole new world of healthcare, or at least um, a certainly more enlightened world of healthcare now that we have experienced this pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Paula, I really want to thank you for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule. I know that you've probably been thinking about coronavirus 24-7, but for you to take a few minutes and talk to us about your process of engaging with this campus and what it means to athletics at this critical time is, is much appreciated. Well, I really appreciate it too, Karen. Thank you so much for the opportunity to spend time with you and your listeners today. We really are living in unprecedented times, and like you, I'm honored and humbled to do all that we can to make a difference. Thanks, Paula. The coronavirus pandemic from KYW In-Depth. I'm Matt Leon. So we're living in a world with no sports. Now, they're going to come back eventually, and there's a very good chance that your big-time pro sports leagues will eventually look the same. There will be short-term changes, of course, as they try to save their seasons that were interrupted or their upcoming seasons, and also some short-term financial hardship. But eventually, we will most likely get back to what we were used to on the pro sports scene. But we wondered about the college sports landscape. It's a little bit of a different conversation. How could it change? as a result of the pandemic and the havoc it's wrought. And we're not just talking Division One. What about Division Two, Division Three? We have a lot of Division Two and Division Three schools in the Philadelphia area. And how does any conversation about the future of college athletics change if we don't see a college football season in the fall? For this conversation, spoke with two local experts who follow the world of college athletics closely. Up first, Dr. Karen Weaver of Drexel LeBeau's Center of Sports Management and then we talk with Dr. Jeremy Jordan. He's the associate professor and associate dean for the Temple University School of Sport, Tourism, and Hospitality Management. We will start things off with our conversation with Dr. Karen Weaver. For a starting point, overall, and it's probably unfair to say overall because everything's so different, but uh, how financially healthy were college athletics on a grand scale, or is it really something you have to look at school by school, program by program? I think you can probably figure out there at Division One level, there was a wide range of schools that were healthier than others. We um, don't have this idea of a profit loss in a situation because generally athletic departments spend whatever they can make 
or whatever they're given every year. But the problem is, is that many schools, particularly at the Division One level, have made long-term commitments, whether it's to co- coaches or facilities or or expecting revenues from television contracts. So they plan long-term for a consistent revenue stream or a consistent set of expenditures. When those things get upended, that's when college athletics kind of loses its its, uh, its balance, its fulcrum, if you will. Um, in Division Two and Division Three, it's a little bit different because so much of college athletics is dependent upon institutional dollars. So if the institution's revenues are dropping because tuition, um, less students are coming to your campus and enrolling or staying in your campus, and you have this situation where there just simply isn't enough money to go be from the academic side of the house to the to the athletic side of the house, then you've got you've got a double problem of what the institution needs to do to survive. And sometimes that means redirecting finances to the academic core, and that's where athletic folks at that level get concerned. What are you hearing from people? Like, how soon could we see start seeing some surprising announcements from institutions, from programs about things they've had to do to, to cut back, uh, you know, because of the, the lack of the revenue stream and stuff like that. Have you started to, to get any inkling that we could start to see some some disturbing news? Well, there's a, there's a handful of schools around the country. Um, at Murray College, which is in Illinois, just announced they are closing this year. End of the end of the spring, they are done. That's it. No more school. So you have one, uh, one situation like that. Other schools, like the University of Bridgeport in Connecticut, announced to their athletic staff that, that the whole staff is furloughed until August 2nd. So they just figured we're going to save on payroll and we're just going to furlough the athletic department staff. So I got to believe that those are two solutions to the short-term problem, but doesn't solve all of the long-term problems about when campuses resume and what format will they resume and, and what value does that have for prospective students and their families with regards to enrollment and then you know completing their degrees. What are some things you think we'll see? I mean, once again, Division One is such a different animal from Division Two and Division Three. But do you think uh, we will see certain schools shutter certain sports? Uh, do you think we will see certain schools just say goodbye to sports completely? Do you think it will be a mixed bag, or do you think uh, what do you think is the most likely scenario if uh, schools have to to make moves on that front? Well, if you look at if you look at smaller colleges first, and of course the Philadelphia area is heavily populated with small D threes and D twos. Um, you know, the, the schools that are in most danger are the ones that are highly tuition dependent. So they have eighty to ninety percent of their annual revenues coming from the tuition that students pay, and also have really um, uh, what would you call lower end uh, endowments. In other words, they, they just don't have a lot to fall back on. And of course, there's a lot of structure around how you can pay endowments and how what percentage you can take off of it each year. But those schools will probably have the most difficult time rebounding unless somebody comes in as a as a, um, as a savior and just you know gives them millions and millions of dollars to survive. But there's a lot of schools that are not quite in that situation, but will need more structure and help. So. One of the things I propose is that I think that's where the conferences need to step in and start to realign what their expectations are. And a couple of things I threw out in, in one of the articles I wrote was 
you know, perhaps do we need to actually play conference championships at all this next year? Or could we just survive with the regular season champion? Do we need to play a double round robin? Can we play a single round robin? Should we try to shorten the season at all and just and just get the season in so we've got something? So I think there's some things structurally that conferences can do collectively to try to minimize the damage across across multiple institutions. But then when you get to the division one level, the question becomes what's what's um, acceptable for the television broadcast partners? Is it just putting the, the players on the field and they're playing? And first off, is that safe? Secondly, is that permissible in all the other social distancing world that we live in today? But secondly, is that it is a game that is going to have the same value in that contract? Um, and, and will that generate the same amount of revenue? We saw what huge hit um, the NCAA March Madness, Madness revenues took with um, 62% of the revenues not being distributed because they just weren't there. The NCAA was pulling money out of their reserve funds and other places just to get uh, this uh, 38% distribution. That is serious, a serious loss for the vast majority of Division I schools who don't play football. So trying to trying to recover that going forward is not realistic. So how do you at least try to level things out going forward? And you mentioned football. I think, I think this conversation has two segments to it. I think there is the segment where we talk about the loss of basically the spring, the tail end of the winter, and this pandemic and what it means going forward. Now let's live in a world where this lasts, that it, there's not a college football season. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know how realistic that is. But you at least hear some murmurs that that's possible. Throw that into the mix, the loss of college football revenue. Is that almost like detonating a nuke in the middle of all this? It is, because so much of uh, revenue uh, in, in the college football world is generated from the college football season and the bowl season. And how do you get to a bowl season without playing a regular season? I mean, we just haven't done that before. Um, but I truly think those who are arguing are correct to say, you can't expect people to pack themselves into a stadium and, uh, and with any kind of confidence that, that they're not going to get sick again. And until we are really, really sure that we can protect our athletes, we can protect our medical staff, we can protect our facilities and event folks from just this contact, the normal contact you have when you go to a game or you watch a game or you're supporting a game, I think it's really hard to imagine that, that we, can, we can do this as much as all of us would like it. Um, it, it's just, it's so unsafe for the participants who, are, who you should be focusing on first, which is the players. What are, and I think you kind of went over this, what, what are some signs you're looking for? You mentioned what Bridgeport, what the school in Illinois did. Are there other signs you're looking for that would kind of be flashpoints that would kind of start a chain reaction of things? Well, I think it's, it's been, normally we would say, let's look at May 1st. And that's sort of the day that traditionally schools have these the entering class have paid their deposits and said, yes, I'm coming. Which, barring anything that is happening in the world, I'm coming to your campus. But if you look at look at families now and not sure when what their income stream is going to be, whether they even have health care benefits, probably college acceptance, paying that deposit and committing to that tuition is not probably as high on the list as it might have been pre-COVID-19. So... 
colleges are going to be left to, to wait later and later and later in the summer to see what their uh, classes look like, not just who's coming in as a new student, but also who's returning. And the question then becomes, at what point do you pull the trigger and say, we're going to go completely online again, like so many of us are doing right now, or we're going to attempt to come back and have a physical campus again with a campus experience that so many students choose to have when they come to, come to college. They want that collegiate experience. My fear is that we do it, we get excited, we, do, we bring it back, and all of a sudden we hear of one campus that has one student that has... Uh, with COVID-19, and, and they decide that they, you know, that they better kick everybody off campus again. So what's the domino effect that has on others? So right now, I don't see necessarily a domino effect like that triggering instance that you just mentioned, but I can see it happening if we decide to go back to physical campus and being classes online, not online, but in person. Then we've got a situation where something happens where the, the virus has reinvented itself or come back or something happened, then all of a sudden we go away again. And that's really what I worry about with college athletics. I think the smarter thing is to do is to wait it out as long as you possibly can to we're sure that it's safe to be together again. And, and I'm hopeful that my colleagues will think that way too. We talk about the loss of football and you know what that would mean. Let's look on the positive. Let's say we get through this one way or another by midsummer, and let's yeah. say we all breathe a sigh of relief and life starts to get back to normal. Will you still expect to see changes in number one? And you mentioned it a little bit, you know, with the the conferences in scheduling, in traveling. Uh, do you think we will see a lot more of? Uh, schools just busing and playing seven eight schools in their area for their non-conference say in basketball rather than maybe flying to a tournament and you know stuff like that to to save money do you think uh, even in the best case scenario we're going to see changes of that ilk well I, th those kinds of changes have to come at the conference level and then ultimately at the, at the ncaa level because of the, the restrictions in in uh, sport governance when you join a conference for football, you also join with all your other sports in that same conference. And while it might be easy, let's say, for Temple to fly to Houston and play a game there and come back and not miss any classes and only have to do that, you know, a couple times a year, you've got every other team at Temple also doing the same thing when you can easily see them, you know, maybe traveling an hour or two on bus and being able to get those games in. So there has to be some sort of relief from the conference and the NCAA about your opponents count towards your end of the season totals for championship but if that were to happen i think that allows people to be very creative in trying to save money and also protect the, the student experience in in this process and still feel like you had some semblance of a season that's a wrap thanks for joining us for another week of thinking about college athletics from the thirty thousand foot perspective in case this is the first time you are joining us, the podcast drops every Thursday morning. You can listen to previous guests and topics on eight different podcasting platforms, including iTunes and Spotify. Each week, I will strive to give you a deeper understanding of the complexities of higher education and intercollegiate athletics in the 21st century. Please also join me on Forbes.com for additional content and extended analysis. Have a great week.